Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crimson Crossover Podcast presented by The Field of 68. Um, we're joined by a special guest, uh, Richard Hendricks, former Alabama basketball legend. He's a, a college basketball analyst for ESPN, SEC Network, and in studio. Um, Richard, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. Thank y'all for having me. We're happy to we're happy to have you. It's it's nice to have some uh, some former players on here to talk Alabama basketball and uh, get a different perspective than the the obviously three of us that are that are on here. Well, it's a good time <laughs> to talk Alabama basketball. The program is uh you know at heights that a lot of people have never seen, uh, in particularly in recent years, and uh, doing a great job and trending in the right direction. I'm uh, proud to have played there and, and happy to see them uh, doing what they're doing now. So speaking of kind of like the heights that Alabama's getting to as far as basketball is concerned, five years ago, Alabama hires NATO. It's this kind of maybe not unknown nationally, but unknown maybe to the Southeast, to, to Alabama basketball fans to come in from Buffalo. And the the level that he's kind of turned this program around is is reaching historical levels. Um, I think over the past five years, Nate Oates has probably been the best coach that Alabama has had um, in their his first five years. But specifically this season, I think has been Nate Oates's best coaching job at Alabama. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of how Nate Oates has done so far at Alabama and then his tenure or and then this year um, as well? Well, I, I tend to agree with that assessment. I, I look at it and I'd say the credit also has to go to to Greg Byrne for making the hire, a hire that a lot of people do not know a lot about Nate Oates and what he had accomplished uh, at Buffalo and as an assistant at Buffalo and in recent years prior being a high school basketball coach. So his ascension to the top of the game has been remarkable. And not only as I think he's the hottest coach in the SEC, but as the the old guard is moving forward in college basketball, retiring some of the great names, Roy Williams, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, uh, to name a few, Jay Wright getting out of the game. Nate Oates has an opportunity to establish himself as one of the top coaches in the college game, and he's on a fast track of doing it and doing an outstanding job. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, speaking about this year, obviously Alabama has had some struggles defensively. Um, specifically, case in point, we saw Saturday night or Saturday afternoon um, when Kentucky gave, scored 117 points. Um, we know kind of the historic levels that this Alabama offense is is obtaining. I think they're one of the top three offenses in the last 25 years as far as an offensive efficiency is concerned. But the defense obviously has been lackluster for a large portion of this season. Um, talk us through kind of what you saw in that Kentucky game and maybe what you've seen from this defense. Well, I think you have to take a little bit of it as it comes to the offense. I think when you play a free-flowing style that likes to have a lot of pace and a lot of possessions in the game, shooting shots early in the shot clock, you know, it's it's going to be a misconception if they're a good defensive team because a lot of times they do play really good defense, but the number of possessions, the, the score might not reflect that. Now, as you saw in the last game against uh, Kentucky, I do think Kentucky exploited some things, but mainly I think with Latrell Reitzel being out in his injury, that was a highly impactful injury for Alabama to not have another ball handler out there uh, and a, a really good on-ball defender. Without him, you don't have someone who can play offside for Mark Sears to kind of control the pace of the game, be a, a shooter that people have to respect. And also, like I said, the ball pressure pressure and stopping the individual dribble penetration. So you can look at the defense and say a lot of things that Alabama has with their defense's problems. 
but it's also connected to how they play offensively. They score a lot of points and it's hard to find some team that scores a lot of points and then stops teams. I mean, if that's the case, you're going to win every game by 30 points. Now, Alabama has shown in games that they're able to do that. If you look at what they're able to do against Texas A&M, holding them to some terrible shooting uh, numbers in the percentage field goal percentage from outside LSU in two games. And you pair the good defense in those games with the offense and you see what Alabama can do. So it's something that you have to judge it a little bit differently. I think when the guards can contain their man, as far as dribble and penetration is concerned, I think that they have a much better chance of, um, of showing how good they can be defensively, but it is an area that they have to improve moving forward. But you have seen in spurts, the, the class of this Alabama's defense. So Richard, we've seen with this Alabama team this year, when they're hot, they look like one of the best teams in the country. Um, but then they have off days here and there. Um, you know, you think about the Clemson game, the Ohio state game, um, and then which are far away, but then you have some other sec losses, particularly if you're somebody that hasn't watched Alabama all year, then you watch that Kentucky game, which was on CBS. Then it's like, this isn't an Alabama team that I've, you know, that I thought would this Alabama team isn't as good as I thought, you know, it was. So looking at this whole, you know, this team over the course of the year, you were just talking about their defense and how it's had its struggles and they need to correct those mistakes as, as a, as a former player, how how do you think that this team should go at fixing those mistakes? What are some of the the most glaring flaws that you would like to see fixed? You know, as we wind up this regular season, heading into tournament season. Well, when it comes to a team, it's hard, particularly in the mid February, end of February, to try to change the way that you play. Your your, your identity is your identity. They're going to play at an up tempo pace. They're going to push the ball. They're going to shoot early in the shot clock. They're going to try to get threes and layups. And it's been a highly effective style that Alabama's had for, for several years. So if you're looking for them to have this defensive-minded style of play, I don't know if you can have it because it's all connected. You know, it's offense and defense are both connected. If you're not going to walk the ball up the court, then it's hard to keep a team in the 60s. Now, Alabama, as I've said, has showed that they can play really good defense. It all starts with just the intensity and the attitude from the individual standpoint. Now, maybe you can do some things schematically as far as garden pick and roll coverages and uh, forcing the ball to certain people's hands, not allowing people to push it up the sideline to get a quick shot in offense. Uh, as you saw, Kentucky did a lot of times uh, inbounding and pushing up the sideline by way of the pass. There's so many things that you can do, but but I think it starts with an attitude and an individual effort of just making sure you stay in front of your man and take pride in your matchup. Um, as I mentioned, I talked about Latrell Wrights will be in a key movement forward. If he can get back healthy and come into the lineup, now you have really good on-ball defenders with Mark Sears and Reitzel. Um Ryland Griffin, who can guard multiple positions on the wing in the perimeter, and that makes really things much more difficult for teams when you have guards who can all guard similar players and switch when things come into problems and maintain their players. You know, it's like football. You take it if you've got two good cornerbacks who can just play in man coverage, you don't have to do so much. You just lock up. And if Alabama can do that, then obviously – like you mentioned, they can beat anybody in the country, but it's just a matter of having the matchups that they play when they move forward in the SEC, uh, SEC tournament, as well as the NCAA. But this is a team with the firepower. They can beat anyone. If there's one area that they do need to shape up, it's obviously if a team has the personnel of a high-quality, low-post player. If a team has that, then that's something that can give Alabama problems because Grant Nelson has to play out of position. Uh, he's done a really good job of playing the five when they've asked him to. 
But um, if Nick Pringle, uh, Muhammad Wagi, they'll have to do a really good job of playing solid one-on-one defense, staying out of foul trouble, doing a good job in the pick and roll, and then controlling the boards. Not something that they've done a lot this year uh, consistently, but if they can do that against a team that has a formidable low post player, then they have the ability to really play against a team that has a different style. But the way the game is now, you don't see a lot of teams that have them. And Alabama has played the top teams that have really good low post players with uh, uh, Zach Eady at Purdue, uh, Kalkbrenner at Creighton, uh, Ballo at Arizona. So they've seen what you can do, P.J. Hall at Clemson as well. So they've seen what it's like when you play against a team uh, that has really good low post play. Janai Broom and Jalen Williams as well at Auburn. So they've seen that. And you've seen what the results can be, but those are the things I would say that they need to shore up if you're going to make a deep run in the tournament. And to follow up on the defense, and I already have my opinion about the 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 question I'm about to ask you, but a lot of our fans, or a few of our fans, not a lot, have said that Alabama going to a zone would help the defense. What are your thoughts <laughs> on that? Because I just want someone else to – Give an opinion on that because I feel like we argued this ad nauseum on Twitter about about the zone defense, and it, I, I feel like it would be good for Alabama fans to hear it from someone that has experience, you know, with pro level basketball. I mean, listen, any defense is effective, but but you have to go with what you do as a philosophical from a philosophical standpoint. I mean, you, you can't. 25 games into the season just say in the middle of the game we're going to go zone it has to be something that you know what you're doing because ultimately even if you play zone you, you still have to have a lot of man concepts because if a team has really good players if you give them a crease then they can knock down a deep shot in, in the zone if you have miscommunications and then more than anything when the team plays zone it's hard to rebound out of the zone because you're not stuck to a man and, and you open up yourself for offensive rebounding it can be effective but for me, I think a little bit different when it comes to the game. When I watch teams and you know how they play, you just have to accept that that's just the style that they play. Now, if it was a team that showed a lot of versatility in play style throughout the course of the season, then you can anticipate that a team, yeah, they should go zone. But if they didn't show you zone in game five, you can't expect zone in game 25 to be the solution. You have to be who you are. Every team is going to be that. Uh, and also with teams now, transfer portal, um, players changing in and out. You really have to have a veteran team to be able to try to make a change just like that on the fly where everyone knows what they're doing and their responsibilities and whatnot. So I don't see that being the answer. I think they need to continue to be who they are and you have to play with a little bit more intensity and pressure as far as ball pressure is concerned. Understand the scouting report. There are plays that you need to know what's going to happen and you have to be alert because when there's a lot of possessions, like in the Kentucky game, you can't have any lapses. And when Alabama has the lapses and allows a team to go on the 8-0 run, the 10-0 run, the 11-0 run, some games they're able to come back. But if you can't hit shots because they have good defensive personnel as well, then you're going to be in problems. But, um, you know, I, I, I like zones. Listen, I like a lot of different play styles. But you have to be who they are. And, and it's been effective. So, so – Sorry, go ahead, Charles. No, I was just going to ask, you know, 
one of the things that's been fun about this Alabama team is watching the year that Mark Sears has had. Uh, and I think him being a, a player from in the state as well brings a lot of pride to Alabama fans to see the success that he's had. Um, you had a decorated high school Alabama career, Mr. Basketball within the state, McDonald's All-American. Just kind of curious, you know, to get insight to what he may be dealing with, what, what you had to potentially deal with as well. Is there added pressure playing for your in-state school and then eventually leading your in-state school as well? Um, I don't know if there's added pressure. I, I will say this. I mean, him being a fellow North Alabama guy, I mean, I, I love to see him doing the thing that he's doing and particularly doing it on a winning team. You know, um, the time that I was in school, we we had a talented team, but we did not particularly have the team success that I would have liked to have coming in as such a highly rated recruit. Um, with that being the case, sometimes you may feel that there's a little bit more pressure on you. Uh, you have your family that's going to be coming to every game. Uh, everyone's going to be invested in the games in your community. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that's something that Mark Sears has had to worry about because he's been highly consistent in this entire time at Alabama and not only at Alabama prior to Alabama leading the Mac and scoring at Ohio he's a really good player and when you're a really good player the pressure moments don't impact you I mean you know so for me it wasn't something that I ever thought about I always felt like I should be in the position uh, amongst some of the better players on the team and in the league and in the, even in the country so it wasn't something that the pressure got to you about doing anything from the state now I will say from my perspective I came to the University of Alabama to do something special. And people, they, they don't remember, because it seems like it's so long ago, but I'm, I'm actually glad they just had the, the 20th anniversary of the uh, Elite Eight team. But when I was getting recruited to Alabama starting my freshman year in, in high school, you talk about Alabama was the SEC champion in 2002. I want to say in 2001 prior, they actually just went off an NIT run when they got to the final and lost to Tulsa. So they had a lot of success and won over 25 games. So you talk about an NIT final, a SEC championship, and a, and a number two overall ranking in the NCAA tournament. 2003, they're the number one team in the country. 2004, they go to the Elite Eight. And all throughout there, you're talking about McDonald's All-American signing with Alabama, um, with Gerald Wallace. Mo Williams, in-state players who were superstars in high school, Irwin Dudley, uh, Rod Grizzard, Terrence Mead, to name a few. And then the class before me was Ronald Steele, who's a two-time Mr. Basketball from John Carroll coming to the school. So for me, coming in 2005, I did feel like I thought that we were poised to take the program to the next level, get to a Final Four, win some SEC championships, and beyond and potentially even win a national championship and you team myself up with uh, Alonzo G who was a top 40 player in our class and Brandon Hollinger who was the 6A player of the year on the highly rated LaFleur team Yamin Coleman was a state champion um, and a 5A Wilcox Central and Greg Cage was a walk-on who was a state champion really good player in Indiana I really thought that we had what it take what it took to, to be a final four team and to win a national championship. And I thought that would be really, really special. So when it didn't happen after my three years there and, and there were performances or the results were mediocre and we had injuries and other issues that took place on the team, as far as just untimely injuries and, and things of that nature, for the most part, Chuck Davis going down, uh, Ronald Steele going down, Jamario Davidson being banged up. The untimely injuries kind of impacted our team tremendously. 
And as a local kid, an Alabama kid that has a lot of pride in the program, a family that went to the school, that does not sit with you well. As you want to do something special for your school and your state, and even if you're a good player, you're not able to deliver. But but for Mark Sears' case, uh, he's been able to deliver, and he's been able to enjoy uh, the ride of a team that's really good and, and w- winning well and playing well, and he's been a big part of it. So you kind of already kicked off going down memory lane, which was going to be some of my next questions. Freshman year, you know, the last time that Alabama actually had throwback jerseys with what I kind of call the candy cane jerseys, they're debuted against a Florida Gators team that, you know, was stumbling a little bit, had a lot of talent, and it eventually would go on to win the national championship. The last basketball team to beat them that year was your Alabama team. And it's a game I feel like gets, you know, there's a lot of great Alabama basketball games that kind of get forgotten. What do you remember about that game going against guys like Corey Brewer and Joakim Noah and Al Horford? Um, Because I remember being at that game and the excitement around that and getting that that win. And as you just talked about, you know, having the talent to win national championships, y'all beat what would eventually be a national championship team. Right. And, and I can take you back. I, I actually believe that the first throwback game was against Tennessee. And it might have been a week, a Saturday before we played in three consecutive Saturdays in a row. We played LSU, Tennessee and Florida. LSU goes to the 2006 Final Four. Florida was a team that went to the national championship and won it that year. Um, LSU won the league that year. And Tennessee was a number two seed in the NCAA tournament and might have been atop the East. So those throwback jerseys were kind of, uh, I don't know, they they gave us a little bit of juice for some reason, but those those games were exciting. Coleman Coliseum was packed, 15,000 people in there. That Florida game, I believe we played it. um, It might have been an early game. Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford, you know, Corey Brewer, Torian Green, Lee Humphrey. I mean, just the, the team was loaded, and they played very, very well together. But as I mentioned, the talent that we had on that team, we never felt like we were outmatched as far as personnel was concerned. Every team in the SEC that we played against, we felt like we didn't see anyone that was better than us. And when we were on our game, uh, I don't think anyone could beat us. I think we played that game and we won pretty easily. I had 11 points, 17 rebounds. um, I don't know, so many blocks. I got a memory. All this stuff is like, you know, it comes back to me. It doesn't leave my mind, but uh, we won that game pretty easily and, and you know, but it, the personnel we matched up really well with them. myself, Jamario in the low post was something just for Al Horford and, and Joe Kim Noah. We were a good matchup for him. Ron was at the top of his game in SEC play in 2005, 2006. So we, we were a tough team for teams to beat. Uh, and when we had it going. Well, you took care of the national champion and also pushed around the runner up UCLA yeah. pretty well in the second round too. The last question I have uh, unfortunately, your last collegiate game is a memorable game for other reasons. The miracle three that Mikhail Riley hit and y'all are playing a basketball game when the tornado hits the Georgia right. Dome. I caught a little bit of the next round live where you were talking about, you know, crazy atmospheres, playing international, batteries getting thrown at you, security guards. But have you ever had anything as strange as that as far as playing a basketball game that has to get stopped because a tornado hit the Georgia, hit hit the stadium? I don't know. Listen, I've I played a lot of games. I don't know, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds. I mean, I probably have. I mean, 
I, we didn't know what was going on. I, I remember <laughs> we were in the in the Georgia Dome, and we just I don't know got a rebound or something, and we were coming down, and Brandon Hollinger was playing point guard, and I'm running down, I'm in the post, and I'm looking at him, he's setting up the play, and we look at look in the rafters, and you see all of like these banners and stuff just kind of swaying, and you just kind of hear like a little rumbling. And nobody knows what's going on. And it's like everybody just kind of froze for about five seconds. Then you see people in their in the riser seats because, you know, they split the Georgia Dome in half. They're sitting in the seat. They start coming down from the top. I'm looking at Alonzo. Alonzo and Mikhail are looking at me. I'm looking at Brandon. Uh, we were playing Mississippi State. Mississippi State players are looking around. I'm telling Brandon Hollinger, hey, go. Like, go. Like, go to the basket. <laughs> Then they blow the whistle, and then we all look around, and then everybody just kind of runs off the court. But we had no clue what was going on. And you mentioned the Mikael Riley three. We had no clue that him hitting that three probably saved tons of lives and, and kept people inside the arena. I remember one of my teammates, Demetrius Jemison, he mentioned, he said, I, I didn't know what was going on. I thought I knew Kentucky played next. And I heard all that noise. I thought it was their fans making all that noise. <laughs> which I thought was a pretty good uh, explanation for it. But that was a moment. The, the biggest thing about that game was we went back into the back and you just had to regroup for, and maybe it seemed like an hour. I don't know. It probably was 30 minutes or something, but to come back out and basically start a new game over, but the foul situation, the time situation is what it is at the end of the game. It was an adjustment. And unfortunately we were not able to pull that win out and extend our season because I felt like we were playing good ball. We just beat Florida. We somehow were finding a little bit of juice. And you know, Georgia ended up making a run in that tournament and winning the SEC, which was what I was hoping we could do. But, uh, it didn't work out that way, but it was it was definitely a moment. If you were a recruit, let's say you're coming in, you're in the 2024, would you want to play in NATO's system as the way that you played back in the day? And do you think you would have more success in this system than you did in Godfrey's system? Um, just, just curious, curiosity, pure curiosity. What, what were your thoughts on, like, if you were a 2024 recruit, like yourself, what would you, what would you want to, would you want to play in this system? I think that I, I would be able to play in any system. I, I mean, I played up-tempo basketball. I played for David Blatt in the EuroLeague, and we played at a high pace, and I was, you know, effective in, in that style. I do think, as a big man coming out of high school that had a shooting touch, I, I think that I could have been a piece that would have really made this offense better because being a post-up player, uh, a rebounder down low, and the ability to be agile enough to play in ball screen action – as well as be a rim protector, but also score when I get the ball and shoot it, I would have loved to play in this. I don't know if that would be the style that they would want to recruit, but I do think with the, the, the versatility that I developed into. Now, now, I think if I look back on how I was playing in 2005 through 2008, it was just a different time period. The player and the skill set that I had, I think would fit just fine in what they do. But if you go back and you think about how teams were playing, it was a grind out style. Everybody walked the ball up the court. The only team kind of played fast was kind of Tennessee with Bruce Pearl his first year. Um, and then outside of that, you look make, out of the conference, you would say like maybe like UAB and Mike Anderson were playing a little bit different type of style. But you, you had to have two to three big men in the paint. You know, if you're playing LSU and they got, 
Tasman Mitchell, who's six foot seven, 230 pounds, playing the small forward, big baby Davis, who's six nine and 335, and then Tyrus Thomas, who's the center. You got to have some beef down there if you're going to compete. And this was all across the league. This was not just uh, Alabama. This was Mississippi State. This was Ole Miss. This was Arkansas. Every team had multiple guys who were 6'8", 250 pounds plus. So it was just a different style. But I do think after developing and moving forward in my professional career, I could have easily played in both styles. I would have loved to have the license to shoot more threes and shoot from the outside. I think um, that would have only been able to show more of the things that I could have uh, done. But um, I think I would be able to fit in both styles, just just like uh, in Godfrey style or in Oates style. But that's an interesting question. It would have been fun to play that way for sure. My second question is, do you have any more eligibility? Because we do need a big man uh, <laughs> for the tournament. <laughs> hey, I, you know, with all of these NIO and NCAA rules, changing, I mean, they all might as well let people get another year back. I was only there for three. You might as well give me two more. Uh, just like everybody else gets. I mean, you know, I do feel that way. But, you know, I don't know if anybody wants an, an, an old big man anymore. I mean, I can still move and, and play, but, you know, it's – I don't I, – I'm I'm fine coaching youth sports right now. I'm done. I've, I've played enough basketball. I don't really want to do the practicing. If I can just show up and play in the games, that will be good. <laughs> the practicing, just let me have shoot around and show up for the game, and I could I could give you something. But – I don't want to do the off-season conditioning. I don't want to do all of the other stuff. Just just let me show up for the, the 30 games, and that's it. Give me a contract like that, and, and I'll roll. So the last question I have for you, um, going forward for this Alabama team, um, a lot of talk is going to obviously be about the defense and the lack thereof at times. Um, how do you see this Alabama team finishing up? You know, This week they obviously have a big game versus Tennessee – um, obviously you have to, uh, face Ole Miss on Wednesday before that, but, um, I think everyone's talking about the Tennessee game and then going forward, Alabama's pretty much a lock in the NCAA tournament. I don't think that they would fall out. How do you see this team kind of shaping up to end the season? Well, they have a tough, uh, schedule in front of them and the SEC slate and, you know, if I'm Alabama, I'm definitely not overlooking Ole Miss. I know everybody's excited about college game day and everybody coming to watch Tennessee and believes that's going to be the showdown to, de to de decide who's going to be uh, the conference champion and maybe even who's going to be the SEC player of the year between Mark Sears and Dalton Connect. But if I'm Alabama, I don't look past Wednesday night to Ole Miss. This is an Ole Miss team that has a proven coach. They have athletes all over the court, wing players who can – guard both ways, seven footers who can block shots. Um, they've lost several games uh, lately, but they're fighting for the NCAA tournament life. And how they are have a home game with Alabama coming at home to give themselves a resume win. If I'm Alabama, I'm focused on the, on the Rebels first. And that's a big opportunity for Alabama to go in there and try to establish who they are again and get some momentum going into the Tennessee game. But it's all in front of Alabama. Everything is for them to take. But they have a challenge. I think them, as well as Tennessee, have the toughest road to try to win this championship. Auburn is kind of flying under the radar that they could possibly get a little bit of help from some other teams, and the, the remaining schedule is not as strong as Alabama and Tennessee and even Kentucky and South Carolina as well. But um, it's going to come down to the wire for all of these teams of who is it's going to determine to be the SEC champion. And, and Alabama has just as good a chance as anyone if they can handle their business um, in the games coming up soon.
uh, Charles, Joey, do you guys have any more questions? All right, uh, Richard, tell everyone where they can find you, kind of what you're working on, different things like that. Well, you guys can follow me on uh, on, on Twitter and social media at rhendricks35. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not the most active person on social media, but, you know, every so often I'll tweet out a little bit of something. You know, today was a big day. I had a lot of things that talking about people talking about the court storming and all of those type of issues and how everybody feels about it. And, you know, and like I said earlier, you know, today I played in so many different environments. Uh, that wouldn't have phased me at all. But, you know, it, it is what it is. But um, it's a new day for sure. Also, go buy his uh, athletes thread, the real thirty-five. Yeah, so I'm uh, gonna have to start putting that out. Yeah, let's go out there and and start. Uh, go get you some. Yeah, the real thirty-five is the, is the, what you should go. Get. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I will say a lot of really good number thirty-fives to play at the University of Alabama. Erwin Dudley, Jason Caffey, you name a few. So I, I think that's a, a really good number to have when you play well, Alabama. Alex Chiku also wore the number thirty-five. So <laughs> don't don't forget him. Can't forget about him. I think it's a few more. Might have been a Dakota Slaughter. Might have, I always yeah. follow him as number 35, you know, so it's, it's a good pick. And I believe there's a couple recruits coming in next year that, that might have had that too. So it's a good number to have. It's a strong number. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, Richard. Um, hope you have a good evening and um, hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you guys for having me. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was that was a great interview. Uh, really appreciate Richard coming on. Um, it's a it's a true honor to have a you know a former Alabama player, Alabama legend, to join the podcast. Um, so really appreciate him joining on joining on the podcast. Um, but fellas, let's let's get into it. Last week, Alabama goes one and one um, against two ranked teams. Um, at the time, it was ranked twenty four Florida and ranked seventeen Kentucky. Um, Obviously, they win against Florida at home in Coleman, um, and then they lose on the road at Kentucky. Let's let's jump into that Florida game. Um, what did you guys see from Alabama that you liked? What did you see from Alabama that you didn't like? Um, maybe your key takeaways for that game. Well, I like how we, I, you know, this first things first. Florida's a really solid rebounding team, um, so I like that we out rebounded. That's that's one stat that jumps out at me. Um, I thought we were able to capitalize on their turnovers. We were able to convert fourteen points off of their nine, and also thought we, you know, managed the ball really well. We only had eight turnovers. That's become a trend at this point. They've controlled the ball all, you know, well all year, like we've talked the past couple of weeks. But really lately, they've really gotten, they've really found their groove in that. So. Um, it was, it was a, you know, really solid game. Obviously, you know, Bama trailed early, then was able to make that really, really solid comeback. So you, you have to like the grit and tenacity the team played with. Um, we saw that kind of taper off in the Kentucky game, but a lot of things were issues in the Kentucky game. We'll get into that in a second, but overall, I really liked what we saw from this Florida team. Um, Grant Nelson and Aaron Estrada both had phenomenal games. Sears, of course, as always, he got his 17 points. Um, but you know, specifically with Estrada and, Nelson also both having eight rebounds on the game um, make put it in work on both ends of the floor. I thought those were two really, you know, standout performances. Yeah. Being at the game, it very much felt like last year's Auburn game. The deficit was not as much, but that there was this energy that if Alabama could really make a comeback, tie it up, take the lead, that place was going to explode, which is what it did when Mark Sears, hit the three to put us up 77, 76, and they were engaged throughout the game as well. You have to give a lot of credit to Florida. One, they were playing some of their best basketball coming into that game. 
their their starting five six Kugel did not play much for them, but they're going to be a team that's not only probably going to make noise in the SEC tournament, but they might be a trendy pick to pull an upset or two in the NCAA tournament. Todd Golden's done a, a fantastic job with them. Um, I was really encouraged with some of the maturity our guys showed, especially to start the second half. We're mm-hmm. two of 18 from the three-point line in the first half. And, Christian, I think you mentioned some on the space. It's really two of 17 because Mark Sears is chucking a three-quarter court three at the end of halftime. But we really took the ball to the basket. We recognized that Florida was not going to help off on shooters, so we didn't – Force three-point shots to try to get in the game. We took what was given to us uh, until they left Sam Walters, Walters open several times for three-point shots, and those were obviously big. But I, I just kept watching us and, and was really impressed on how we were taking smart shots to keep us in the game. And eventually, Florida cooled off, and we got some stops as well. We got some rebounds. Uh, but it was it was a fantastic game. I was impressed with both teams. I know we're about to get into Kentucky, and I guess I'll tie this into a little bit as well. It's very interesting to me the narratives on Alabama this week where you have the game where you beat beat Florida 98-93. It goes in overtime. And everybody talks about how Alabama, you know, you don't trust their defense. You don't trust their defense. And, And, yes, we give up 117 to Kentucky. You don't trust the defense. But all anybody can talk about with Kentucky is how improved their defense was by giving up 95 points to us. Yeah, they probably gave up some easier baskets in the last eight minutes. But there's still a lot of doubters about this Alabama team, and hopefully that's something that these guys will you know, have a chip on their shoulder and continue to, to go out and prove it. And this is obviously a great week to prove it, which, of course, we'll get into in a little bit more. But just going back to the Florida game, it was just this team just doesn't get too up, too down. They stay the course, and I think that was really key, too, in, in having the maturity to come back and win a very difficult game at home. And you have to like Alabama's chances when they're in Coleman Coliseum. They've only lost one game in the last two years at Coleman. Um, hanger of doom, uh, hopefully coming soon. Um, but <laughs> but you got to like their chances. And it's kind of quite the contrast, I think, personally – how Mark Sears and how these guards play in Coleman Coliseum relative to how they've been playing on the road in big matchups in the Kentucky game, Mark Sears and Aaron Estrada combined for 11 turnovers of the 16 that Alabama has. And then Joey, you just said at home, they only had eight um, versus Florida. So it's just such an interesting dynamic where you can see these guys where it looks like they're not letting the game affect them so much when they're at home. Maybe it's because it's comfortability, but when they get on the road, it wasn't like Kentucky was doing anything special defensively. The first 10 minutes of the game, it was a scoring fest back and forth. I think it was like 22 to 22 after with 10 45 to go. I mean, like the game was played the way everyone expected. Um, Kentucky comes in, puts big Z in, puts Rob, Rob Dillingham in, and at that point, that's when Kentucky starts to pull away from Alabama. Um, Alabama has some lazy turnovers, just some very unforced errors, I would say, for this Alabama team. Um, that leads to a 22-point loss versus Kentucky. Um, and I think the best thing that you said was 
the narrative flipped on Alabama last week. And I, I'm not entirely sure how, because Al, like Richard Hendricks said, Alabama is Alabama. You know, Alabama, this Alabama team has been the same Alabama team since the start of SEC game or SEC conference gameplay to now. Um, have there been times where the defense has shown up? South Carolina comes as an example when they held them to 47. Yes, but this is just the team that Alabama is. And I, I, I don't see how now all of a sudden it's, oh, Alabama's worse than Auburn. Alabama's worse than Kentucky. Alabama's worse than Tennessee. Like some of those points are valid, but it's I, my opinion on this Alabama team hasn't changed following the, you know, disastrous performance in, in uh Rupp arena on Saturday. Well, you know, another thing that a lot of people, maybe not Alabama fans, but um, the national people have forgotten is that Alabama was down both Wagi and Ren Reitzel for that game against Kentucky. You know, do I think Alabama would have won if we if they had had him? Probably not, but they would have made an impact. Um, and I think that people have kind of glossed over the fact that Ben was down two guys, which means you're down, you know, two bigger guys. You're down, you know, two guys that can give, you know, some energy off the bench that, you know, and, and lead to less players. But Alabama looked winded in that game, and it could have been just been the fast pace, but it also could have been the fact that they were down two guys and the rotation just wasn't what it normally is. But that aside, you know, Kentucky still shot the lights out. They played one of their best games of the season. I think it this game needs to have more credit to Kentucky than more detriment to Alabama. I think Kentucky really showed what type of team they can be when they're playing their best basketball. And when and if Kentucky can keep that streak going, they're going to be a really scary team heading into the SEC tournament and heading into the NCAAs in just a couple of weeks. The Kentucky that we saw earlier in the season is gone. <laughs> this is a really solid Kentucky team. And as as you said, Christian, um, I forgot what you said earlier, but uh, no, it was overall, it was just, it was a really, it was just a really solid performance by Kentucky. I, I am in the same boat with you. I, I don't feel any less about this Alabama team. Um, their defense has been shaky at times, but it's also been phenomenal at times. Um, you you referenced the South Carolina game. I'll also reference the Texas A&M game for just a couple of weeks ago. They've had those shiny moments where the defense does come through. They just need to be able to have those moments more consistently as we, you know, it's it's starting to get to zero hour. We're starting to get the tournament season. You, you both referenced turnovers and in these three losses to Tennessee, Auburn, and Kentucky, those turnovers really have exasperated the defensive problems. And I'll go through some numbers real quick, and I'll I'll start back to the Tennessee game. You have 22 turnovers in that game, and 15 of them were steals by Tennessee. So those are live ball turnovers that they're turning in to fast break points or putting our defense in kind of a scramble situation. Um, Tennessee only had seven turnovers in that game, so the margin is 15 there and then as far as points off turnovers Tennessee had 23 points off turnovers um in the Auburn game 15 turnovers 13 of them were steals a minus 10 on that margin and Auburn had you know 22 points off of those turnovers and then you add on the free throw disparity as well or just how many free throws Auburn shot and that was going to be a difficult difficult game to to either get back in or to win And then we go to this past Saturday where you have 16 turnovers, like we mentioned, 11 of them are live ball steals, and Kentucky gets 29 points off of turnovers from that. So 
it's can you and the guys were turning the ball over Sears and Griffin against Tennessee. Sears had seven, Griffin had six. Against Auburn, Sears, Griffin, Estrada all had three. And then in Kentucky, Sears had six and Estrada had five. You know, I think those are guys that we've got to lean on. We know we have to lean on. Um, I think some of Sears' turnovers are sometimes just, you know, he's got to, he feels like he's the guy who's got to go make something happen. So he needs some more help, I think, from some teammates and stuff like that. But, you know, as far as helping out the defense, it's, it's something that I feel like we've kind of talked about is how can the offense help the defense? whether it's pace by getting the game going fast against teams that don't really pay fat, play fast or just taking care of the ball and not putting our defense in a scramble situation or a situation where they're going to get, you know, shots at the rim or wide open threes because we don't get back to the right shooters. So, you know, that's something that as we get onto the road at Ole Miss and at Florida and even at home at Tennessee, we've got to be take to take care of the ball. And I feel like it's something we've actually improved on a lot. It's probably been a team that hasn't turned it over as much. And as far as a NATO's team, but that is something that has really creeped up in these road losses in the sec. It it's, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, Alabama's got Ole Miss on the road. Um, it's a desperate Ole Miss team that needs a resume win to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, the news came down uh, tonight that Alan Flanagan will not be suspended um, following the, I don't even know what you call it, sucker punch. It was like an elbow to the face one, maybe not even a sucker punch um, in their last game. Obviously, he got a flagrant two for that, which I, I presume is the rationale behind not suspending him. Um, because he did get a flagrant two, got ejected. But um, for this game for Alabama, um, going to Ole Miss, I think it's an opportunity for the Alabama team to kind of stomp out some of the fires that have been put out there about this Alabama team and the Alabama defense. We know what the offense is going to do. We know that they're going to score their points. Um, even at in the Kentucky game when they had 60 points, they – the announcers are like, well, unless there's some miracle, there's no way that Alabama's going to hit 90 points. And all of a sudden, nine, Alabama has 95 points, right? Um, so I, I would, I mean, I would, again, would expect Alabama to score like they have been all season. Um, it's just whether or not Alabama can figure out the whole defensive lapses that they have. And like you said, the live ball turnovers, I think that's a bigger issue than the defense. I really do. Um, if you, Take away the 29 points that the Alabama just gave on the defense or offensive end for live ball turnovers. Alabama's up seven in the Kentucky game. You know, I know that's not necessarily how math works, but like that's just the kind of that's the kind of like thought process that you kind of have to have when you're trying to explain these things to maybe the players or um, other people that are asking. So, um, what are you guys hoping to see going into the Ole Miss game this week? Well, I, I think with Ole Miss, I think you hit it on the head as far as, you know, this is a game where they they need to build their resume. Um, on ESPN's Bracketology, they're considered one of the last four out. Jerry Palms got them as one of the last four in. If you look at the back bracket matrix numbers, you know, 43 out of the 100 brackets that are tracked have Ole Miss as in the tournament right now. 
They got off to a hot start. They didn't play a bunch, uh, a bunch of good teams in the non-conference, but but they got the wins and they built what they needed to build as they got into conference play. So um, they have had to kind of suspend those thoughts as far as the NCAA tournament right now. Um, but if they want to give themselves a fighting chance, they they need to pick up a win against Alabama and to elbow themselves back in the conversation. And they've obviously got the players to do it. So, you know, that clearly starts with Alan Flanagan, who we all are very familiar with, with his time at Auburn, um, averaging about 15 points a game, shoots it well from the free throw line. So their leading rebounder has played a lot of basketball and he's paired with Matthew Morrell, who leads their team in points. Um, but he's also been at Ole Miss for four years. So he's been there through the Kermit Davis area era. And this is kind of, you know, I would say this was his last rodeo, but with COVID and all that, you never know where another year is going to pop up. Um, but he really, you know, the 17 points, two assists, almost two steals, shooting 40% for three. And his counterpart, Jalen Murray, also shirts 40% from three and is averaging about 13 points a game. He's a transfer from St. Peter's. And then down low, they've got Musa Cisse, who's a seven-footer, um, played at Memphis and Oklahoma State. And then Jamarian Sharp, who played at Western Kentucky, who's seven-foot-five, who doesn't get a ton of minutes. And I, I would say for his size and ability, you know, he only averages three points and four rebounds a game. But everywhere else, you know, I feel like we match up pretty well. You know, another guy that might present some challenges is uh, – Jamie and Brakefield, he's 6'8", 220, played at Duke. He's also in his third year at Ole Miss. So it's it's they've got some guys that are obviously going to take some pride in trying to help, you know, Ole Miss reach this NCAA tournament opportunity and get the program going in the right direction for Chris Beard in his first year. Ken Palm numbers, their offense is ranked 40th. So it is we are going to get challenged uh, as far as our defense against a, a decent offense. Defensively, they're 132. Uh, their tempo is 234. So they, uh, they're going to try to, I imagine, to slow the game down. Um, in their last eight games, they're three and five, and their three wins was a three-point win at Texas A&M, a four-point win at home against Mississippi State, and a three-point win against Missouri at home as well. Um, they, haven't, uh, they haven't been playing, I feel like, their best basketball you know, they had a really good half against Auburn uh, the first half, and then that kind of fell apart with them as, as well. Um, but they're obviously going to be motivated, you know, to to get this win on their resume as we keep talking about. You know, this, it's obviously a gut check time for our team uh, and hopefully can show some maturity as well with what we know is coming up this weekend that they can lock in and secure a win in Oxford that's going to obviously make Saturday's game, you know, even bigger but to keep yourself in the driver's seat of the SEC regular season championship race. So it's a, it's a game where I feel like we match up really well. It's not like Florida or Kentucky where <clears throat> you necessarily got to work, worry about a ton of size or a ton of length. And I know that's odd saying that when they've got a seven footer and, you know, a seven foot five guy, but I don't see those guys being as active or being like dominant bigs that we've seen with Edie, Kalkbrenner, Janai Broom, and some of those other guys that we've had to go against this year. I feel a lot better about this game right now than I did prior to the Kentucky game. Um, I think heading into the Kentucky game, this Ole Miss game is really setting up itself to be a, a, a solid trap game. It's still, in a way, can be a trap game. But I think that 
after a loss at Kentucky, and particularly in the manner that it was, this team is in a, in a different mindset than it would have been if they had won heading into this game. Um, I think when it comes to matchups, I agree with you, Charles, and you know I think we match up with them pretty well. Um, the the good thing about Jamarian Sharp and Musa Cisse is that obviously they're both fantastic players, particularly on the defensive end. Sharp leads the SEC in blocks per game. I think Cisse is 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 fifth in the in the conference in blocks per game. So they're going to get those on the defensive end of the floor. The good thing is that their bigs aren't the the what has been the thorn in Alabama's side. They're not scoring bigs. They're not guys that are going to dominate in the paint on the offensive end of the floor and really push to get those points. So um, with that being said, that's why I like this matchup a lot more. Um, I think looking into the keys for, for the game, we, we need to, you know, we need to reduce the turnovers, which I know you went over Charles. Um, we reduce it on the road. That's something that's been an issue. We saw it rear its ugly head again against Kentucky. We need to out rebound. Um, and we need to just find our groove back on offense. In, in Kentucky, there were a lot of things going on, but, when the team started looking winded in the second half, they really lost that offensive groove until Kentucky started taking out its players and putting in the bench guys. So we need to see that tenacity back. We need to see them get that mojo back. And I think heading into the Tennessee game this weekend, this Ole Miss game, particularly it being a road game, can really be an opportunity for this team to do that heading into this, what is looking like it's going to be a very final, crucial four-game stretch here to close out the regular season. Yeah. And, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Charles. Go ahead. Uh, you're talking about Cisse and Sharp and leading the conference in blocks. And something that's been really interesting, I feel like, last week, playing against Florida and playing against Kentucky, neither of those teams were willing to leave shooters on the perimeter. They were willing mm-hmm. to give up drives to the basket. Um, you know, Sharp and Cisse are obviously guys that protect the rim really well. But if you're if you're leaving Mark Sears – to go up against one of them, you know, if it's Grant Nelson in the game or we, we've got some other switches where, you know, you put Estrada or Rylan Griffin in the pick and roll and that guy doesn't, you know, the guy who is guarding Sears doesn't go with him. Um, and you got a mismatch with, with the Griffin or Estrada or something like that. I, I think that's re- what I'm really interested to see is coming off of last week where we didn't shoot the three ball very well because Teams didn't want us to shoot the three ball really, really well. And now you play a team that does have some rim protection. You know, not where do we find this? We will find scoring, but it's just going to be interesting to see how Ole Miss does it as far as how much they're willing to help off of shooters, how much they may funnel us into the paint, um, and just the kind of their defensive game plan to try to slow us down offensively. Yeah, and I think that – I think for this Alabama team, something to monitor is the status of Latrell Reitzel. Um, Richard Hendricks mentioned it. I think we've mentioned it. Um, the He was uh, practicing today, um, very limited, non-contact type of practice. Um, so it, it's interesting to see whether or not he can ramp that up tomorrow and be ready to go for the game. Um on Wednesday, I think that more crucially, if you don't have him in this game, it's fine. It's okay. But you need him for that, the Tennessee game this weekend. I don't think there, I think that if you have an option, if there's an option to say, okay, we'll might play him limited minutes. He could get injured in this, in the Ole Miss game and then not be able to play. I think the option would be to, okay, we'll just keep him out 
and then we'll play him in the uh, Tennessee game. Additionally, uh, Wagi coming back, I think that's a – I know he hasn't played a lot in recent weeks, but just the, the calm of mind to be able – or the presence of mind to be able to have him on the bench if you need a big – um, if you need a guy that needs to go in there, maybe pick up a few fouls, get a couple of rebounds, you know, something to set the tone that he he can come in and do that. So I think having him will also help a lot um, as far as, as that's concerned. But hopefully Wrightsville can come back um, and get to the same level that he was playing prior to um, his injury. Um, so just so everyone's aware, we're not going to be talking about the Tennessee game. Uh, we are, well, first of all, it's a whiteout. So if you go to the game on Saturday and you don't have a white piece of clothing, obviously go to J and J we're all wearing it. So I got this one with the, uh, the like elephant on the back. It's the wimp, uh, the wimp, uh, what's it? Wimp elephant shirt. Um, obviously Charles has got the, the quarter, the Q zip pullover with the block a, and then, don't uh, buy this one. This is crimson. Buy something white. Yeah, don't buy that one. <laughs> but that one is cool. So, Charles, the one that you have, or um, Joey, waves the one that you have is waves. There's yeah, waves really on cool. it. So yeah, um, I, would, I would say buy the one Joey has, but wear it underneath what I've got. Yeah, then you're good to go. Well, that's great. <laughs> I don't know if it counts, but we'll we'll count it. We'll count. It. Uh, <laughs> you squint uh, it really hard. It looks. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we're not going to be covering the Tennessee game in this podcast um, because we have another podcast coming out on Friday um, where, we, where we will be live in Col- or live. Um, we will be in Coleman Coliseum um, recording that. Maybe we can find a few guests here or there if they, we find someone walking around or whatnot. But uh, we'll be doing that covering all things Tennessee because this week is a big week for Alabama basketball. Um, outside of the Ole Miss game, which we do all have to get through first, you have college game day coming to Tuscaloosa for the first time for basketball in the history of college basketball, college game day. Additionally, you have a top 15 matchup where, or where Tennessee is ranked fourth, Alabama is ranked 14th, um, Saturday night. It's a heavyweight title fight that Alabama and Tennessee are tied in the rankings as of what? I'll say it in central time for you guys, 9.58 PM, uh, February 26th. Um, who knows how the Auburn Tennessee game is going to shape up this Wednesday. And, um, but as of right now, tied in the sec standings, um, uh, for first place, uh, you really, you really think that whoever comes out with that game probably wins the sec. Um, and it's just a, a massive opportunity for Alabama. It's a massive opportunity for, Tennessee. Um, so because of that, we're not going to be talking about it on this, uh, podcast. Additionally, follow us on, um, social media. We're going to be actually be covering college game day from behind the scenes Saturday morning, um, on, uh, tide hoops history and on crimson crossover, um, probably on our personal accounts as well. Um, but, and I think that'll be in the description of the YouTube channel. I think all of our uh, social media stuff's in there but um if you guys don't have anything else then i think we're good and we will talk again on well, technically wednesday but podcasts will be on friday um roll tide and we'll talk again soon roll, roll tide, tide.